Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. We're still in the summer, right? And we're in a summer series, and I get to close off the summer series. It's been a really a joy for me. I've been so, I've been proud, but also very grateful for those who have spoken this summer, John and Kelly and Nathan and Ketsan last week. They all did a wonderful job helping us uh, just enter in some of these Old Testament stories. And so uh, I, I have the job of finishing it, bringing it together. And uh, it is a collection of stories. So we're going to leave, leave each story, each message kind of sit for each of you as you discern uh, those stories. But I'll start with, um, I'll start this way today as we just jump into this story. I won't tell you what it is first. But how many of you have like an inspirational quote on your fridge or on your stove or on your desk or something? Here are some, probably some quotes people might use sometimes like, here's this one on my right, either you run the day or the day runs you. I don't know, that's a, uh, there there was one from Muhammad Ali, but I guess it didn't be make it on the screen. The middle one, the way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Uh, The one on the left, it's not whether you get knocked down, but whether you get up. Vince Lombardi, famous coach. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes there's people who have like these quotes on, on their fridge, on a window, in their car, on their phones, their desks, whatever to inspire them. How many journals have phrases like these daily journals? So every day you kind of have a phrase to give you courage and uh, inspiration for the day. And I think part of the reason for that, for, there's a human longing in our hearts with a search for courage. We're looking for courage to attack our day. We're looking for courage as we come up against a difficult decision or a difficult challenge. We're looking for courage when there's an obstacle in our life to overcome or a season of suffering that maybe we're walking through or maybe, maybe a new challenge that's come up in your life and you're not sure how you're going to be able to walk through it. And I think that's kind of a natural desire in us, this search for courage. And so we're going to jump in one more Old Testament story today and as part of our series. And this one points to a source of courage that I believe is not only better than what we find in culture, but actually helps us uh, deal with life itself, especially in the face of fears. It's found in, in the Old Testament book, 1 Samuel. And maybe if you're familiar with the Bible and I say the chapter, you're already going to know where, what it is. But it's, it's, it's Samuel 17. It's pretty familiar. And so I'm going to read the first four verses. This chapter has 56 or 58 verses, so we are not reading the whole thing today, all right? Just letting you know. Uh, but we'll, read, we'll start, and then we'll be jumping in and out. So here's, here's the introduction of this story. We'll jump right in. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soko and Judah and Azekah at Ephesdamim. Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, Saul encountered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, famous character, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. That's the beginning of the story. This introduces the famous story of who and Goliath? Oh, man, you guys already know it. What's up? Oh, I need this up here. Great. So uh, I'm not Goliath, so I need them. I'm only a David. Um, Yeah, so you guys already know it. Everybody knows the story, almost. I'm I'm sure there's some people who don't know it. But 
And this is part of the script, part of the part of the scriptures where, it, where Israel transitions under a monarchy. In fact, Nathan and myself both spoke from the book of Judges, which was a different era for Israel, where they were under, under judges uh, between Moses and Joshua and this monarchy that was the judges. And now this actually, the, this is kind of the beginning part of this, where Israel is led under a monarchy, where there's an era of kings that are used to lead and guide and protect this nation as they move forward. And it's, a, it's an era slightly better than the judges era, but it's still not perfect, and it's still part of the trajectory of Scripture, the whole trajectory of Scripture that moves us to a better king and a true king, which is Jesus. But we have this reminder as we read this story to read with discernment because whenever we read Old Testament stories, we, well, all of Scripture, we must always read with discernment. But remember, we've said this a couple of times over the summer. Not every description is a prescription. Not every description in the Scripture is a prescription. And, th- and so, as well, we've got to read this story in this way. Now, the context is the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. He's the king of Israel at the moment. And the context here is that they are approaching a battle with a, a neighboring nation, the Philistines. And so, the Philistines approach, and Saul then decides to confront them and counter. And now, they're at both sides of a valley, and they're going to fight each other in war. So this conflict breaks out, but there's a different strategy that's going to take place in this story than kind of common, uh, you know, two nations fighting each other. Instead of both armies fighting, the Philistines have an idea because they have kind of like a trick up their sleeve, and they get one of their biggest guys to pick a fight with an Israelite, and his name is Goliath. And this is kind of like a best man wins approach. Two armies, but they're like, you know what, let's settle it between two people, and whoever wins... Um, that army wins. And it's, I guess they're setting up a little bit of a cage match and representatives who determine the outcome kind of bets on the one-on-one fight. But it's not a fair fight because as Goliath steps out from among the Philistines, uh, in older versions of the Bible, it it says he's six cubits and a span. Uh, This version, the NLT, was nine feet. He's about seven to nine feet, so he's a big guy. He's abnormally big. He has a hard time shopping for clothes. And we want to assume that his parents' budget was very stretched when he was a kid, just buying food and feeding him. Goliath is a big guy and strong. And it's this one-on-one approach. In verse 8, he comes out and he's like, choose a man to come and fight me. We'll take care of it this way. In verse 10, he says, give me a man that will come and fight me. In verse 12, we read this, about this new character in the story. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. So this entry of this character, slightly different than Goliath's entry. Son of a man named Jesse from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was already old. He had eight sons. This was his youngest son. Three of his sons are at war, so they would have heard Goliath's challenge. David shows up, not because he's looking for a fight. David shows up because he's just bringing food to his brothers on site. And he shows up bringing some food and treats. And like a really good Jewish boy, he brings some cheese for the commanders as well. His dad's probably like, bring some cheese to the bosses and help them out a bit. I don't know, but that's in the story. You can read it yourself. And it sets up one of the most popular stories in the Old Testament. 
One of the most famous stories in the Old Testament of David and Goliath. In fact, you don't even have to, you don't have to go to church or read the Bible to know about this story because it's so popular. We have heard this metaphor so often in our culture. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote, wrote a book with the same title, David and Goliath. It's like the main plot of every sports movie, you know? And you hear the announcer in the back, we've got a David and Goliath story tonight, folks. You know, this team against this team, this person against this person. Back in 1980, when the USA hockey team beat the USSR hockey team in Lake Placid, they, they called it a miracle on ice because it, the U- USA team wasn't, wasn't the ones to bet on to win. They called it a miracle on ice that they won. They were pegging USA as the underdogs, but they won. Gladwell's book, his subtitle after David and Goliath is Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. This story and this metaphor has become used uh, for so much in our culture, in writing, in movies, in, in myths as well, even though it's a true story. And point, but, but here's the thing, you know, Gladwell says, and the art of battling giants, and, and I haven't read the book, uh, but I understand where most of the writing goes towards. But I think this is the point of the story. I think the point of the story is comparison. The point of the story is comparison. I'd uh, heard from Tim Keller, actually, who quotes Robert Alter, who's um, a a commentary writer, a Hebrew scholar, and written three massive books on the Old Testament. And Robert Alter says that this story in Samuel 17 is so unique among the rest of the Old Testament because of the long description of Goliath. The kind of descriptive details that Goliath gets in this story are very unique in the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, we'll read it from verse 4 to 10. Listen, 4 to 7. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Begath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. The description of Goliath here is very detailed. And Alter says that this is setting up a comparison in this story. Now, if we look through the story and contrast David, it's very different. Here comes David, young guy. um, Verse 33, you know, Saul is talking to David to kind of discern if he's going to be part of this. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Um, verse 40 says uh, that, that David, you know, picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. This description of Goliath's armor, and David picks up five smooth stones from the water. Verse 42, as Goliath is speaking to David. He says, am I a dog? He roars to David that you come to me with a stick. This is a story set up for comparison. And it brings us back to something we see in the story that I think is really important, but something we also see in our own lives. And it's where is our source of courage? What is our source of courage? 
There's two approaches to heroism in this story. And, but the focus I want to take is the two approaches to courage or the two sources of courage. And the first approach or the first source is Goliath. When, when we see Goliath, when we hear Goliath, uh, not only read the description, but hear him speak and, and hear what he says to the others, it seems like his courage is coming from an assessment of his strengths. I've got this, I've got that, even the way the story is told. He's got the height, he's got the strength, he's got the helmet, he's got the armor, he's got the spear. The head of, just the head of the spear was 15 to 20 pounds. I, you know, if we kind of passed out a 20-pound plate here, you know, generally we could maybe lift up a 20, if some of you guys know could lift up more, don't boast, but I mean, some of you can only kind of, do, and it, like imagine that 20 was the, the head of the spear. And you got to throw that like 30 feet. That's a heavy piece of armory. And it seems as though what's building up Goliath's self-esteem is projecting his assets to whomever will fight him. I've got this, I've got that, this is who I am. And he's projecting victory. He's visualizing his success. He's talking a big game. Look, in in verse 9, he says, you know, if this person you have, if he kills me, hey, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you're going to be my slaves. That's like trash talk. That's talk down talk, right? He's talking a big game. Verse, verse 32, right? Like, who, who's this little boy? You know, this disdain that he has for David. In verse 42, the way this version describes it, he has sneering contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Verse 43 again, right? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And then verse 44, come to me and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals. I mean, Goliath is talking a big game. And Goliath is visualizing success. And Goliath is projecting his victory. And it's interesting, big or small, bullies tend to do this, right? And underneath, often a bully is insecurities underneath the surface. Because even the, the, the strongest people on the outside, on the inside, have insecurities. And they do things to bolster their self-esteem so they can move forward in victory. And it seems that this is the approach to Goliath's source of courage. If any of you have girls in your home, you might have watched the Matilda movie or read the book with um, your daughter or, or others in your family, the Matilda movie. I just know my daughter loved the movie. And it, in, the movie and in the movie, Danny DeVito's the father, and he's a corrupt salesman, and uh, car salesman. And uh, uh, you know, Matilda is his, is his daughter, and they don't treat her well. They don't understand her. And she comes into his, into his garage, and uh, he's showing his other, his other kid like what he does to sell cars, and he has this contraption to rewind the, the kilometers you know, in the car. He's like, man, we're going to make a killing on this car. And Matilda, you know, she walks in, she's like, hey, that's illegal. And uh, don't people deserve good cars? And then this famous line from the movie, maybe you know it, he looks down at her, even though he's short, he looks down at her, he's like, I'm smart, you're dumb, I'm big, you're small, I'm right, you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's, the, that, that he's, he's like, he's like kind of projecting, like Goliath projects in that way, to his girl, of all things. Think about that. Has anything changed? Don't we all try and muster up courage like that in the midst of fear? Self-talk, boosting up our self-esteem, visualizing success. Read a good quote. Look at yourself in the mirror. Slap yourself in the face. 
throw water, tell yourself you can, you can do it, assess your assets, flex your muscles, talk down to the other team. And this is an approach to finding courage. This is an approach to courage in the face of fears, an approach to moving towards success. David is slightly different. He's still passionate. He still moves with conviction. He's still passionate about getting into this, into this fight with Goliath, but he's bought because he's bothered by Goliath's reproach on Israel. That, that, that this nation and then this person, Goliath, would come and he cares about Israel's honor, but more than that, he's bothered by the shame and reproach that that's tied to God. You've come against the, the God of our, of our nation. And he's bothered about the shame and reproach that is trying to be projected, not just on Israel, but to God. And, and this happens naturally in our lives when, when we mess up or when we sin or when the church fails to reflect God's kingdom. Often it does not bring honor to God. And it's something we have to deal with. And it's often God's reputation. God's reputation on the line um, when his people divert or detour or go away from his ways or sin. And, and this, I mean, even coming back to last week's message from Kersan, this also demonstrates a mercy in the Lord as he works with us. John Goldengay, uh, an Old Testament commentator, writes, the price God pays, this is the price God pays for setting up association with his people. This is the price God pays for setting up association with us because we will often fail and not reflect him. And he, but he's a covenant God and a loving God and a committed God and a faithful God. And even when Dave Manifold fails, he's still faithful even though I've reflected poorly on him. And that is the price God pays for setting up association with people like me and people like you. That's a whole other idea to reflect on. I'll just let you sit with that one. We'll continue, though. Notice the description of David again. Notice the qualifications for this battle. He's young. He's a boy. He works in the fields, not the battlegrounds. His purpose that day was bringing cheese and treats. That's why he showed up. He's ruddy. He's handsome. And handsome is never really a quality for a fight. Right? (laughs) You can be good looking, but lose the fight. But he's fought with bigger animals before. He has been in situations where the opponents, and he, he describes in the story, these other animals were bigger than him and ferocious, lions and bears and others. But more important in all of this is his, his source of courage. And there's two things that David knows. David knows his strength. He recognizes his strength. He's aware of his own experiences. He's not denying his experiences. Now, if he came into the picture and said, you know, I mean, um, hey, Saul, I put a birdhouse together with my dad. It was really awesome. I'm going to take this guy. You know, he doesn't say that. He does lean on experience. I was in the field, and a lion came towards my flock. I was in the field, and this animal came, and, and, and you know, it came at me. And so he did kill ferocious animals that were bigger and stronger than him. He has strength, but he's likely... Not as strong as the animals, but maybe as innovative and shrewd and creative. And he's quick in a fight. And he knows how to use his strengths, even though he might not be stronger than the opponent. But something he does that's very different than Goliath 
Well, one, he acknowledges who he is and not who he isn't. But secondly, he acknowledges God's strength. And even as he's describing what, happens when, when, what happened when he was in the fields, he says, it's the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. And that Lord will rescue me from this Philistine. I want you to notice David's source of courage because it's twofold. He does recognize his experience, but he does lean on God. And listen to the whole description in verse 44. As David persists, he says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb or a flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the claw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living. God. But then his, his ending is, it's the Lord who rescued me from the, lo- the claws of the lion and the bear, and he will rescue me from this Philistine. And this is the unique difference with David and Goliath. Goliath starts with himself and ends with himself. David starts with himself, but ends with God. God has the last word in Who's in this with him? So David is wisely aware of his capacity, but he's just as aware of God's capacity. It's very different than all on me. I'm aware of who I am and what I've been through, but God is the one who is ultimately with me. David doesn't disregard his own experience and ability, which is something important for us to consider, but he rightly regards God's ability. He rightly sees God and leans on God. And here's where this kind of comes to for both for us, these two sources of courage in the face of fear, because all of us face fear. And I bet you, you know, I'm not sure what was in Goliath's mind that day, but probably one of the things was like, I can't be shown up. Maybe one of his fears was like, you know, if, if I lose this, my whole reputation is gone. Maybe that's his fear. But I want to just point this out. The source of courage in the face of fear. And one approach like we just looked at, is assessing our assets, actualizing our success, the whole movement that came out 10, 20 years ago, the secret, you know? If you just visualize your success, if you just actualize it, if you believe you're a CEO enough, 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 you're going to become a CEO, right? If you believe enough, if you visualize all this, assessing our assets, actualizing our success. Now, if we're honest as human beings, there's some benefit to waking up and starting your day with a positive thought versus a negative thought, right? There's a benefit to clearing your mind before you do something. There's a benefit to, you know, uh, using physical activity to be able to decompress and and think clearly and and help yourself kind of be more engaged, more more involved. it's, It's important. And it's okay that we also remind ourselves of truths and the fact that, yeah, you know what, like, hey, I have done this before or done that, and I'm going to be okay today. Like, we're not saying that all of that, that kind of some of that natural wisdom is to be kind of laid aside completely, but it can also blind us from the reality of the struggle that we're facing. It can also blind us from the reality of the struggles in our world, the reality of the, of the attacks of the, of the enemy, of Satan, of the temptations that are around us, because we just think happy thoughts, think positive thoughts, think strong thoughts, assess my assets. You know, this, this hurt Goliath. Goliath completely ignored David's sling. I mean, if, if he would have just taken note, and in an ancient world, 
David's sling at the time, at that time period, could thrust a rock at about 60 miles an hour. This wasn't David in the field, like, picking rocks and kind of, like, trying tar- target practice. Like, like he, 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 this was like David knew how to use this thing. And in that time period, a sling used really well could thrust a rock at 60 miles an hour. And, I mean, any head that that hits, still going to be some damage. But if you merely approach your fears by dismissing them, if you merely approach, uh, uh, you know, kind of di- approach your fears by, and, and other things that are around you by dismissing them, temptations or attacks, just cheering yourself on, you might miss the danger that's right in front of you. When we're solely focused on ourselves and solely focused on visualizing our success, we might miss the danger right in front of us. And when our source of courage is merely changing our mindset, we can be blind to the reality of the struggle that's right before us. Mindset's important, but if, if that's all we rely on, we might miss some of the danger around us. David, though, his source of courage in the midst of fear was a healthy balance of, one, his own experience. He did look back and say, I went through this, I went through that. Also recognizing God brought me through this, God brought me through that. Really, really key. And then he balances his own experience, and, but primarily leans on the empowering presence of God. God has the last word in his description. God's power and work is the main ingredient in David's courage in the face of fear. He was able to trust in God more than his own ability. He was able to move in humility and sober judgment rather than pride because God has the last word. And he wasn't just focused on himself. And you know what's so important with that kind of courage for you and me? Is that kind of courage is not just good for success. That kind of courage is good when you're suffering. That kind of courage is necessary when you're going through a difficult time or going through a challenging time. That kind of, of courage is important when, when, in moments when you're called to do the right thing and that right thing is hard and that right thing might make you actually look less in the eyes of the world. That, that right thing might actually make you less wealthy in the eyes of the world. That, that thing that you're called to do that God convicts in your heart might make you look less successful or actually less successful, not just look it in the eyes of the world. Sometimes you'll need courage to do the right thing even when it looks like failure. The right thing even when the right thing doesn't put you on top or put you ahead or make you famous how we're called to treat people, right? Sometimes we think, oh, I have to treat people this way to get ahead. And God says, no, love, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How we treat people doesn't always equal a trajectory upwards in the world, but it's the right thing to do and it takes courage. And that source of courage helps us in those moments. In moments when we're called to be honest, even when it hurts. When we're called to be honest, even when we don't benefit. Moments when we're called to have integrity in business, when cheating might help us gain a little bit more. But being a person of integrity and honoring God and others and people is, moves us in this direction, but might not make us go like this in the world's standards. How much we honor the value of God's kingdom in our world versus the kingdom 
of uh, politics and greed and whatever it might be. I think too often we've read the story of David and Goliath and our go-to Christian application is, God, you're just going to make me successful. Whatever Goliaths are in my way, you're going to topple them. (laughs) God, my desire to be this and this and this. I read the story, God. These these Goliaths, you're going to topple them. And I'm going to be on top. And the world's going to see. And I don't think that's the most important thing we get from this story. Because sometimes we think, oh, you know, when God protects us and is on our side, we will always win and always be successful in the eyes of the world. That's not the point. So I want to encourage you and even caution you. Don't make every obstacle a literal Goliath. Don't make every goal a literal Goliath. Discern through. David had deep conviction with what he was doing and what he was leading towards and what God was calling him to. He he wasn't in it at that moment for himself. So just be cautious of that. But let me come back to the heart of the story, because I think the heart of the story for us is really important. We're called to pursue a different kind of heroism. A different kind of heroism. We're called to rely on a different source of courage. We're called to to trust an alternate way of life. Amen? Amen? It's not easy sometimes, but we're called to trust an alternate way of life, the way of Jesus. I'm going to invite Phil to come up as we come to a close this morning and and want to be able to um, just wrap up with worship. But just think about this for a second. The world calls us to certain trajectories, and I'm not saying that all of it's bad or all of it's wrong, but we need discernment. Which kind of heroism are we called to? What kind of, what's the source of our courage? What's the alternate way of life that God calls us to live? That's so essential. And this story points to the trajectory of Scripture. This is probably one of David's best moments because he doesn't always like read the rest of his story and there's some ups and downs. But what I, what I appreciate about this story, too, is that these two alternate paths, when we see glimpses in David's path, not, it's not perfect. It's not fully seen all of God's kingdom at work. It's not new creation. But it does point us to the way of Jesus. And the story itself has little hints of the Messiah who's coming, of the Christ who's coming. You know, think about it. Jesse's son, the eighth youngest son, shepherd, bringing some food to his brothers. But God uses him even in that, even what seems to be weak, God uses him to accomplish his purposes. David comes from Bethlehem, the region of Judah. Later we read in the, in the rest of Scripture that the Messiah, the Christ, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of David. Um... There's something so beautiful in this story because as much as it's not perfect and we, we can't take everything and, and copycat it, there's, there's little glimpses, little seeds of a true king is coming. The Christ is coming. The Messiah is coming. A greater king is coming. And he's going to show us the way, the truth, and the life. And there's glimpses of that here. And here's why I say that. Because when Je- Think about this. Think about this. Jesus... When he walked to the cross, Rome showed off its courage by using a cross. Jesus showed his courage, didn't show it off, showed his courage by 
walking to the cross. Very two different approaches. Different source of courage, but an everlasting impact. His way, God's kingdom way. And here's my invitation to us. Do we trust it? Do we trust his way? Do we trust God's way? Do we trust the way of God's kingdom? Do we trust what this story points us to, which is ultimately we find the fullness of the way we're called to live, the way of God's kingdom in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection? Do we trust it? Do we trust him? And here's the beauty of it as we, as we just pause to pray today. Yes, it's a source of courage, a different source of courage. But if you're here today and you're just like thinking, how, how, I, I, want, I want more of this God I'm hearing about today. Maybe a friend brought you. I know some friends were brought today because of the barbecue or you're helping with us. It's so awesome. Yes, this is a, a different source of courage. But you know what else it is? It's a source of life, new life, a different life, a life that leads to everlasting life. So my invitation to you, for all of us, is to trust this way and to walk in it. Wouldn't it be amazing, just like David, as you walk this way and you walk in the way of Christ and it might look different than the world and different than the trajectory and the ambitions as you walk this way, won't it be amazing five years down the road, ten years down the road, you're, you come up to a situation and you're like, oh, I experienced something like this. I, I stepped into it, but I also know God was with me and I experienced him with me as I walked this way and not the other way. That's a way we, we also test the way of Jesus. I, I, I love saying this phrase, you will, you will discover something beautiful on the other side of trust. You will discover a different kind of life on the other side of trust. Every moment, every opportunity to trust Jesus, to trust the way of Jesus, ultimately in the cross and resurrection, but then also the ways he calls us to live. When we do that, we, we can experience God in ways where we would not normally experience him because this is his way. This is his path. This is his path. And David saw that day the unique movement of, Lord, of the Lord because he walked in a different path. And that's our invitation. Let's pause and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to recognize our own search for courage. Maybe in something going on today, this week. Maybe it's in our home. Maybe it's in a relationship that is meaningful to us, but we're wrestling, struggling through it. Maybe it's at work or in our finances. And God, there's, there's, there's messages that are getting our attention in culture to try and get through these obstacles in the, in, in the ways of our world. Maybe an opportunity that just this moment of dishonesty or this moment of, of putting integrity aside or maybe, maybe a moment of selfish ambition, maybe a moment of flexing our assets and you're, you're, just, you're calling us to trust you. And I pray, God, that is for each of us here today, we would be able to know that the true source of courage is in you. And while we thank you for this wonderful story in the Hebrew Scriptures, we, we're so grateful that it points to the ultimate story in Jesus. 
We're so grateful that Jesus is our true king, our true model, the Christ and Messiah. And that while his way to the cross seemed foolish to the world, it was what you used to bring about salvation and the next step towards new creation. May we trust that way. May we trust that way on difficult days, on days when it seems like we're not getting as much out of it that we wanted to or the world would want to promise us, Lord, but may we trust your way daily. And for those who are here today that want to step into a relationship with you, want to know more about you, God, may they hear this invitation to trust your ways, to trust your son, Jesus, to let him lead their lives as the ultimate king of their lives. And that's our call to one another today, that Jesus the Christ would be our Lord and King. And thank you that in the middle of him being our King, he's also our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.